Picture yourself wrapped in its softness. Whether you're enjoying a captivating TV show, gathered around a crackling campfire, or cheering for your favorite football team, Minky understands your fall cravings. Our blankets are tailor-made for those heartwarming autumn vibes. With a variety of colors, they're perfect for complementing the hues of fall, as well as showing off your team pride with their vibrant team colors. And the best part? We've got sizes for the whole family, ensuring that everyone can experience the joy of cozying up in Minky's embrace. This fall, let Minky be your companion in creating unforgettable moments. Wrap yourself in comfort, share love, and relish the essence of the season. Minky Blankets, where warmth meets love in every color for every moment. Fall into one of our Minky Couture stores or visit us online at minkycouture.com. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. Very excited to be with you on this Monday, an all-NFL show, and a show that's completely centered around, at least I think, the the the... You know, the vast majority of the end of the show is going to be centered around a new article by The Athletic, which is a great uh, sports uh, you know, uh, newspaper site, basically uh, ranking the quarterbacks in the NFL. They did 30 of them based on tiers. They had tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. I'll get to that at the end of the show. I've got three tiers because at the end of the day, you get to tier four, and it's a bunch of Sam Howells and Jordan Loves, a lot of guys that we don't really even know can play or not. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that later in the show. Also, uh, speaking of guys who are sort of in that tier three, tier four zone, Kenny Pickett, my quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Shout out Kenny Pickett. I think he's due for a big year. Maybe not an MVP level year, but recent data of first round quarterbacks, especially first quarterback in their draft taken, has shown they've been pretty successful from year one to year two. Pick at it. Okay. Rookie season. That's to be expected. It's his rookie year. But year two, might look pretty good. And recent NFL history would tell you there's a very good chance of that happening. Also, the Jonathan Taylor incident just gets uglier and uglier and uglier uh, in Indianapolis. I'll get to that on today's show as well. But first, this Sean Payton, Nat Hackett, Broncos, Jets beef just continues. So, we all know the comments Sean Payton made last week to Jarrett Bell of USA Today in which he was talking about how the Broncos, it was the worst coaching job he's ever seen in NFL history a year ago, and about how these players, they deserve the best coaching. They're some of the best players in the world, and we're going to give that to them. And I said on Friday's show, good on you, Sean. Like, props to you for being honest, for being uh, objective, for not necessarily giving, because don't we kind of get on the media for that, or not the media, don't we get on coaches and players for that, like, oh, that's the that's the typical quarterback answer, you know, the old cliches, turn the page, and the old Bill Belichick saying, on the Cincinnati, all of those different things, we were kind of used to them, and to hear Sean Payton be so authentic was, at least for me, a bit refreshing. He cut a lot of flack on him, like, do you want to be honest or not? Do you want coaches and players to give their, give you their honest thoughts or not? And so I love the fact that Sean Payton did. But as we know, the next day, he sort of issued an apology. He walked back his comments saying that he forgot that he forgets sometimes that he's not wearing the Fox hat. He's wearing the Broncos hat. Obviously, last year, he took a year off from coaching, worked for Fox Sports, did a great job there. And he's not an analyst anymore. He's now the head coach of the Broncos. And so he's, he's, he has to comment on certain things a little differently. 
But Aaron Rodgers, who we know, he's the quarterback of the New York Jets now, his new offensive coordinator is Nathaniel Hackett, who was also his offensive coordinator for his third and second to last years in Green Bay. Might have been fourth. I don't know. He might have been on the floor's original staff in 2019. I can't remember. But Nat Hackett was his offensive coordinator for the majority of the last few years in Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron loves him. Aaron defends him. And we have, I've been on this, folks, for about a month and a half. Today's the last day of July. So I remember talking about it during the NBA Finals that you're seeing a different Aaron Rodgers ever since he joined the Jets. And I've out theorized about why that is, but we have yet another example of this in that, man, Aaron's really taking up for his coach. Take a listen uh, to what he was talking to Peter Schrager on NFL Network about when defending his offensive coordinator. Yeah, I love Nathaniel Hackett. And those comments were very surprising. Um, to, for a coach to do that to another coach. My love for Hack goes deep. You know, we had uh, some great years together in Green Bay. Kept in touch. Um, love him and his family. He's an incredible family man, incredible dad. And on the field, you know, he's arguably my favorite coach I've ever had in the NFL. Just his approach to it, how he makes it fun, uh, how he cares about the guys, uh, just how he goes about his business with respect with leadership, with honesty, with integrity. And it made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year. I thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth. Reminds me of something else, uh, if you know what I'm saying. If I could hold on, let me pull this up because uh, it definitely gave me these kind of vibes. I don't know. It just kind of gave those vibes. Maybe Aaron Rodgers was trying to cite Will Smith. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Point B. Um, I love this. I can simultaneously, what do I always say on my show? Two things can be true. I may need to do a segment about that soon. I don't know. Point being, I love Sean Payton coming out and being totally honest to Jarrett Bell, being honest to the, to the NFL media saying, yeah, this is a pretty pretty crappy coaching job last year. That's not Russell Wilson. And he was even asked, by the way, Sean Payton, the one part he didn't walk back in his comments because a reporter for in, in Denver in, in for a Colorado local Colorado news station was saying, was some of this in defense of Russell Wilson? And Sean Payton said, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to defend my quarterback. And so now you have Aaron Rodgers firing back, defending his offensive coordinator. Now we know Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett, as I mentioned earlier, they go way back. Uh, it, there is reports that the the uh, Aaron's favorite thing to do with Hackett wasn't necessarily drawing up plays because we all know Matt LaFleur called plays in Green Bay. I've never been a, a big LaFleur guy, but the play calling most responsibilities, that was on him. That wasn't on the OC Nathaniel Hackett. We have numerous instances where that's not the case, where the OC doesn't call plays. The, the head coach does. Andy Reid is a, is a prime example of that. Doesn't mean the OC is not good. We've seen plenty of Andy Reid's OCs go on and be very successful head coaches. That's why I wish Eric Bieniemy would get a job at some point. That's another conversation for another day. But Aaron liked to throw darts in, in, uh, in film meetings or in quarterback meetings with Nathaniel Hackett. But again, this is just yet another example 
And it's again, it's kind of mind blowing to me because of how different this is from the Aaron Rodgers that we've all pretty much grown accustomed to ever since his time in Green Bay. Certainly over the last half decade, where it's a lot of passive aggressive shots at the organization, at the media, at teammates, at coaches, certainly at the general manager, Brian Gutekunst, his last five years there. Shots at McCarthy, LaFleur, the young receivers, not being committed to the offseason. We had the ayahuasca, then we had the, well, before that, we had the vaccine controversy, and then not showing up to OTAs, and kind of being half in, half out on training camp. It was it was like, man, the, this, the leadership qualities of this dude is, is, is as bad as we've seen from any truly great Hall of Fame-level quarterback. It's no wonder he only has one Super Bowl. But to go back to a, a theory that I've had before, I think some of this has to, has to do with the fact that, look, Aaron Rodgers is a kid. I, I was talking to, uh, to to Barry Grant Jr., host of the All Even Podcast, co-founder of the Grid Network here. Uh, uh, we were talking. I was talking to Barry, and he theorized, and I sort of piggybacked off this, that, listen, he's from California. He's from the Bay Area, big city. That's kind of more his vibe. And so Green Bay isn't exactly, to put it mildly, a match made in football heaven. I think it's fair to say. And so when you consider what... Aaron Rodgers is used to growing up. Playing Lambo is not really that at all. Aaron Rodgers is one of those quarterbacks. We talk about athletes like, oh, are they ready for the bright lights in New York? Aaron Rodgers is. Listen, we haven't seen him play a game yet in New York. That is fair for the for the critics of this video or the critics of, 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 of those of, of the Jets or of Aaron. I get he hasn't played a game yet. But this is the type of mindset. This is the type of leadership. This is the type of player. They could turn a long-suffering organization like the New York Jets into, again, I'm not quite ready to go into Super Bowl contenders just because the AFC is so loaded. If they play in the NFC, that's a different story. They'd have a great chance to get to the Super Bowl if they were in the NFC. AFC, it's a different story because they play in a brutal division in a brutal conference with some of the best quarterbacks on planet Earth. But I just love this continued leadership from Aaron Rodgers that, again, we have not seen really ever, certainly his time in Green Bay. Add on to it that... Is Aaron Rodgers going to be 40 in the middle of the season? Yes, we understand that. But throughout Aaron's history, what has been the common theme, certainly the last few years, in his great, I'm talking MVP-level seasons? Something happened in the offseason that pissed him off. And when you get pissed off, Aaron, at least in the regular season, postseason, that remains to be seen. But in the regular season... Oh, yeah, dude's a monster. Dude can be the best quarterback in, on, on any field that he plays on against any quarterback, Mahomes included. That's how great Aaron Rodgers can be. Question is, will he be? But in the leadership department, which is an area of major concern I had when this trade was made, that's why I was incredibly skeptical of it. After looking at that, as well as the fact that when we've had in recent years, quarterback, team, you can call it divorces. You can call it breakups. And I think in the case of Aaron, the Packers, it's a divorce because they were together for darn near 20 years. In the case of Brady, Stafford, sort of Russell, not really at all. It's more of a breakup. But with Aaron and the Packers splitting up, we've seen the last three quarterbacks do this. Brady, Stafford, Russell. We've either gotten a clear-cut, obvious uh, winner, so to speak. Brady flourished in Tampa. New England hasn't recovered since. Stafford flourished with the Rams. Now, the Lions were awful that year. I mean, you know, Stafford won a Super Bowl with the Rams. And, you know, but the Lions, I think they're going to be a solid team this year, potential NFC title game contender, which I've said since the start of the offseason. Russell Wilson, on the other hand, leaves 
Seattle improves their win total, makes the playoffs. Geno's comeback play of the year, and Russell has the worst season by far of his career. Now, some of that is Nathaniel Hackett. That's why I do think the Broncos are a team that's capable of winning 10 games and getting to the playoffs because Sean Payton can make virtually any quarterback work. But all that tying around to there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser with Aaron and the Packers. Given the Packers history, I'm talking throughout their history, from in the Super Bowl era at least, from Bart Starr on, when they don't have a, I'm talking, cream of the crop, some of the best quarterbacks that we've ever seen, they are a below average, mediocre organization that doesn't contend for a whole lot of Lombardies. I don't anticipate Jordan Love will be quite that. So, I think Aaron works. I really do. And I, I, I love that. I saw that yesterday. I'm like, I love that. Like, that's the kind of thing that Tom Brady would do. That's the kind of thing that 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 uh, that Dak would do and that Jalen Hurts would do. It's like some of the best leaders in the NFL. Mahomes would do. Love it. Like, this is this new Aaron is great. Absolutely buy into him. Hope we continue to see this. And listen, at the end of the day, there will be there will be adversity for the Jets, like there is for every team in the NFL. The Bengals can tell you right off the bat, they had the scare of training camp to this point. Hopefully, the only scare of training camp, knock on wood, uh, from a quarterback injury standpoint, in that, hey, our season just about ended before it even got a chance to begin with the whole Joe Burrow situation. Again, we'll obviously wait to see whether or not he comes back before week one or otherwise. But I love this new leadership. I love this new Aaron. We can get more of this. Yeah, the Jets will be Jets will be in a very, very good position, certainly to win the AFC East. And dare I say, maybe go just a bit further. Also, I want to sort of uh, pivot to this. If we're talking about AFC teams, let's go from a team that has Super Bowl aspirations to a team that, to put it mildly, isn't uh isn't all that close to doing just that. And that is the Indianapolis Colts. They're in a complete rebuild mode. That's okay. That happens in the NFL unless you are a team like New England for two decades where rebuild is just unacceptable? Does it happen? I don't know. But the Colts are in a weird spot where just a couple of years ago, I remember talking about them in the context of, hey, maybe they could get to an AFC title game if they get the right matchup, a Super Bowl. They had the roster, great O-line, great defense, good receivers, great coach and Frank Reich. The problem was, at least that year, they had Carson Wentz. Really, every year the Colts, it's so, it's, it's so, it's one of the real, like, sad stories in sports like in the last 12 years or so where the Colts were great in spite of their roster because of how great Andrew Luck was. And then years later, it was the Colts were really good in spite of quarterback play, whether it was Brissett and old Phillip Rivers or Carson Wentz. In last case, Matt Ryan, they weren't great at all. They were horrible. They won four games. Uh, they hired uh, an ESPN analyst, great player, but an ESPN analyst to be their interim head coach. It was a mess. But now they have bigger aspirations. They brought in uh, Gannon, the uh, the former OC of the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously, we know his history with Jalen Hurts. More on that in a moment. They draft Anthony Richardson with the fifth pick in the draft. I'm sorry, fourth pick in the draft. And they hope that that's the, sort of the future that they can build around, and we'll see what they're able to do with their assets. One of those foundational pieces, at least you would think, because he was drafted just three years ago, is Jonathan Taylor. Superstar running back. Like, top five level guy. I remember talking back during COVID when we had no sports to speak of. The NFL draft, and it was say the last dance NFL draft literally saved shows like mine. But I remember talking about Jonathan Taylor. 
out of Wisconsin and be like, guys, this might be the best running back prospect we've seen since Zeke. Remember how great Zeke was at Ohio State? And obviously he tore up the league his, his first three years in the, in the NFL. I so said, I think we could see a similar type of situation with Jonathan Taylor in that regard. He's big, he's physical, he's fast, he runs between the tackles well, he's durable. Now, last year he had some injuries. They shut him down because they were obviously in a position where they weren't contending for much of anything. And now we're in a spot where Jonathan Taylor, according to reports, I want to emphasize that last part, suffered a back injury during the offseason. And essentially, the Colts are going to put him on the non-football injury list. Jonathan Taylor last night, this is about 10.30 Eastern, tweeted this. Never, Number one, never had a back pain. Number two, never reported back pain. Not sure who, quote, sources are, but find new ones. And then... <laughs> Jim Ursay comes out, owner of the Indianapolis Colts, and says, uh, he calls a, a media member and says, hey, if I leave and Jonathan Taylor leaves, NFL won't miss us. Well, is Ursay right? Yeah. I mean, it's, again, as I say, the NFL is the king of television. It is the most popular league in American pro sports. That said, that's probably not the best um, negotiating tactic for Jonathan Taylor. Now, Folks might be saying, wait, Bryson, you were talking just last week and even before that. Like, don't pay running backs. Don't, don't care how great they are. Don't give them a second contract. And I maintain that in this case with Jonathan Taylor. But also in the same sense, you got to remember, the Colts are in a position where if this bad blood continues to get worse, he's out of there. They're going to move him. Uh, he's going to be probably traded. I know New England was mentioned. Uh, Seattle, I heard, floated today. I think Seattle will be a good fit. Seattle's having some real issues with running back injuries. He'd be a perfect fit there, especially as much as they like to run the football. They'll run first offense. That's not even the thing that I'm worried about, about his market. He's got a market. He's a top five back in the NFL. He's got a market. I wouldn't pay him long term, but he's got a market. We got to remember... And I think Nick Wright did a great job on FS1 talking about this today, that when we talk about trade scenarios and all this and all that, this isn't just Madden where you trade a guy to the Detroit Lions and that's it. Like, he's the same player in Detroit. That's not always how it works. Like, these are real people with real feelings, with real issues, in this case, with the front office, with the owner, Jim Irsay. And I'm sure Jonathan Taylor's asking the question, like, time out. At least according to him, I didn't have a back injury. Who told this information to the media? Because either the media just totally made it up, which, would, which wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense at all. Listen, I know we've had fabricated stories in the past, but why would the media just out of the blue say, you know what, Jonathan Taylor is a back injury? They wouldn't say that. But given the history of the Colts front office, this is the same Jim Irsay who forced general manager to trade Peyton Manning. After a series of neck injuries, this is the same Colts organization. Let's be honest, never really uh, s- sort of left Andrew Luck for all those years, kind of left him out to dry by putting literally no offensive line in front of him. They were abysmal. You think Cincinnati's was bad with Joe Burrow at the beginning. They didn't have nothing on those Colts offensive lines with Luck. This guy, if, if there's any owner in the NFL that does not care about the culture 
of his organization, of how his players are doing from a mental and physical standpoint, it's Jim Irsay. I've had my issues with Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is the number one reason that I am no longer a Cowboys fan. But I don't think he sells out his players to a certain extent. He's he's sort of he's towed the line with Dak Prescott from from time to time and other players, not to the level of Jim Irsay. He he hasn't in in Jerry's defense. That's why this sort of leads me to a bigger point, in that you have. Jonathan Gannon, is that the head coach's name of the Indianapolis Colts? Former offensive coordinator with the Philadelphia Eagles. We understand the success that he had with Jalen Hurts. You see Jalen Hurts' rookie year compared to now. It's like, whoa, well, this, this is a guy who's like, a again, I'll get to my quarterback tiers later in the show compared to the athletics quarterback tiers. This is a tier one, tier two guy. This is a dude that was <laughs> three points shy of a championship. That's how great he was. And some argue he outdueled Mahomes in the Super Bowl. That's the kind of, kind of success that... Gannon had with uh, developing Jalen Hurts. He now is with a quarterback in Anthony Richardson. And I've talked about, you know, listen, when you, you, when you take time off from doing anything, not, not a long time, but just take a little time, just sit back and sort of rethink things. That's sort of what I did uh, in the two weeks off uh, that I had from the show before I came back last week, like thinking about certain takes, like, okay, maybe modifying them or when new information presents itself. I've always, I have a rule when new information presents itself, then you're going to have a different opinion. I think Jokic is a prime example of that. Wasn't a big Jokic guy, but listen, he was, he was a monster in the playoffs. My opinion changed. I was thinking about Anthony Richardson. I was thinking about how the Colts aren't from a roster and coaching standpoint. Let's just talk about those two. Colts aren't the ideal organization to go to. I think Seattle would have been a beautiful fit. I know me and Ryan Flowers talked about that in the show before. Ryan Flowers, shout out to him, Clutch, uh, Clutch Sports Talk host here on the grid. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, Jonathan Gannon helped Jalen Hurts go from a guy who was pretty darn inaccurate, kind of a turnover machine to a certain degree, and a guy who wasn't great pushing the ball down the field. He fixed all of those problems. He, along with, of course, hard work by the man himself, Jalen Hurts. Anthony Richardson's a guy who's built of kind of that – He's not as quiet as Jalen is, but he's built from that same cloth, right? You're cut from the same cloth. Like he's, he's built that same type of stuff. He, he report said the other day that he put on 11 pounds of muscle. Obviously he ran a four fourth combine. He's an incredible athlete. Reportedly the Colts were down. And we kind of figured this would be the case. They were down to Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. And they met with them pretty close between one another in the meetings. They fell in love with Richardson. He's humble. He's coachable. He's a good kid. He interacted well. He did great in the interview. And then you had Will Levis. You know, he's, he's showing the gun show on Instagram and kind of arrogant. Loves to push the ball down the field, even if there's nothing there. Kind of a gunslinger. You know, thinks he's all that. And that's a big reason Will Levis slipped to the second round of the Tennessee Titans. Made a massive mistake in taking him with a 33rd overall pick. Anthony Richardson's the type of dude that, and I've criticized him, that, folks, he completes 52% of his passes. That ain't going to cut it in the NFL. And I did a segment that the top, ten, my top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL, really none of them, aside from maybe Josh Allen and Lamar to a certain degree, had an accuracy problem. Two is a limited quarterback. Accuracy's not his issue. You can go a long ways if, you're, if you put the ball on time and on target. Even if there's limitations with your arm, with your mobility, Put the ball on time on target. You can last a long time in the NFL. 
But we've seen with Allen, with Lamar, with plenty of quarterbacks, it is something that can be improved upon if Jalen Hurts, by the way, it is something that can be approved upon, improved upon if you put the work in. And Anthony Richardson is the type of dude to do that. Jonathan Gannon's the perfect coach for him because he was the perfect coach for Jalen Hurts, who's a similar prospect. Here's what I worry about. This is an organization. Let's put it this way. This is a front office. And I'm going to put Chris Ballard aside because I think Chris Ballard's a pretty good general manager. It's an owner who doesn't care about the player's well-being. Doesn't care about the state of the locker room or the state of the team, the organization. He just makes impulse decisions. Remember, too, and listen, folks, <laughs> you're probably looking at the biggest Carson Wentz. I don't even think I'm a skeptic at this point. I think I'm a Carson Wentz truth teller. First segment I ever did on Carving Up Live ever, October 21st, 2019, is how Dak Prescott was a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. I think that take his age pretty well. But Carson Wentz, we know, had that horrendous game against the, at the time, 2-14 and 14 Jacksonville Jaguars, which cost the Colts a playoff trip in 2021. By the way, this following another horrible performance the week before against an awful Las Vegas Raiders defense. Carson Wentz had a bad ending to the season, and I didn't blame the Colts for moving on from him. I did blame, however, Jim Irsay coming out and ripping the guy to shreds. Like, hey, we would have, I remember he, he had a quote to, along the lines of, hey, we would have, we'd have got in if our quarterback was, if we had competent play at the quarterback position. Jim, you don't say that. Because now Matt Ryan and now Anthony Richardson, future quarterbacks, can come in and say, "Wow, he talked about it's kind of it's got some Dan Gilbert vibes." Remember, Dan Gilbert talked about LeBron when LeBron left, and some of the things that he said that were just totally crossed the line, bordered into racial territory. You sort of get those same vibes from Jim Irsay that when you're not playing for him, screw you, and he's going to tell you to your face, screw you, or through the media because that's kind of how he's built. I worry about that type of culture because we could talk about what a, co a culture coach can set. I don't know if we give enough attention to how, how important ownership is. I, I, I compare ownership to offensive lines that you only notice when they're bad, when they're not working. You only notice the air conditioning isn't on or isn't working. Or you, you, you don't appreciate air conditioning unless it's not working is what I'm trying to say here. You don't ever hear about the owner in Pittsburgh or San Francisco or, heck, you rarely hear about it. You hear about it from time to time with the Giants. You darn sure don't hear from Kansas City, from the New Orleans Saints. You did in Washington. You do in Dallas. You do in Indianapolis. That's the thing. I thought more and more about this. I'm like, Okay, I'm, I was never worried about if, if Richardson was going to put the work in or not because he's type, that type of kid. He's going to put the work in. He's going he's gonna to try and get the absolute best out of himself he can. I thought more. I'm like, okay, actually, I don't think the coaching is going to be the issue either. He turned out to be a solid player. It's the culture that stems from the top that I'm worried about. And we often, I guess because Jerry is so loud, because um, Dan Snyder, now former owner of the Washington Commanders, thank God, is or was just the definition of tox uh, of toxic from a legal and from a running a business standpoint. That Ursay sort of we see we, his quote unquote sins are sort of swept under the carpet. I don't know. I think that as I've gone into more thought about it is the thing I worry about with Anthony Richardson and his success in the NFL.
We'll see. I'm pulling for the kid. And I don't pull for Florida quarterbacks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't pull for Florida. I'm a Tennessee guy. I never pull for Florida quarterbacks. I'm pulling for this kid. He's easy to root for. I just don't know if the culture is going to allow him to be the best that he can possibly be. Um, by the way, we've got a lot of trades going on in Major League Baseball. Trade deadlines tomorrow. Could have been a great trade deadline if, you know, the Angels had put uh, Shohei Otani on the block, but I guess that's not, that's not going to happen. Uh, my man, Parnell, Sports PSPs in the comments. What's up, Parnell? He says, it's a shame how Ursay sabotaged the career of Andrew Luck. It's unlike anything that I've seen with a superstar quarterback, uh, Parnell. It's, it's, it's incredible that we talk about the, uh, I think there's four guys that come off the top of my head. I'm talking about prospects. I'm not talking about talents because I think Mahomes is the most talented quarterback we've ever seen. I think Rodgers is right behind him. And then you got Dan Marino, guys like that. I think there's four guys that I think about in terms of just once in a generation prospect. Elway, Peyton Manning, Luck, Trevor Lawrence. Those are the kind of the four. For them to squander and screw up the type of guy they had in luck, again, hard worker, great teammate, great leader, willing to take the proverbial bullets when he lost. Remember luck? It almost got annoying after a while. Even if luck played amazing and the Colts lost, it's all on me. I got to play better. It's like, no, bro, you played well. Like There's there's different ways to be uh, to be humble. This false humility thing doesn't work. Like You can search for other, you know, uh, cliche answers other than the ones you're giving. But the point being, great kit, unbelievable quarterback talent. And they squandered it because they couldn't put an offensive line in front of them. And so we got beat up. I mean, I, I'll never forget. I remember watching this game when they played. They were playing the, at the time, undefeated Broncos. This is the year the Broncos won that Super Bowl when Peyton was a shell of himself and he had that defense, no fly zone. And the Broncos were undefeated. They went to Indianapolis to play the Colts and the Colts beat them. So that was the Broncos' first loss that year, and Andrew Luck played that game. Not with a sprained ankle, not with a, a lacerated kidney. That's what they did to this man. So I'm totally with you, Parnell. It's a shame how they did them. And Parnell also said, <laughs> he says, don't get me started with Wentz. Listen, I, I think my Carson Wentz take has aged as well as any of the takes that I've had on this show. Any of them. Again, I, I like I said, and I, I well, I didn't have a show at the time, but I remember talking to people like, uh, guys, it wasn't a situation where Wentz was awesome in 2017. He would have won MVP had he stayed healthy. And backup Nick Foles comes in. He's a game manager, and they're not putting him in position where he can screw up. No, 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 no. And Nick Foles was putting up Carson Wentz's numbers. Dude was going toe-to-toe with Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, throw for throw. This wasn't a, uh, you know, they did center around RPO to a certain degree, but it's a Belichick defense that Nick Foles hung 41 on. Like that's, and then Wentz got hurt the year after and went and Foles took him right to the playoffs, won a playoff game against a great Bears defense. And at that point I was like, okay, guys, this is like the gap between Wentz and Foles is not that big. Like we gotta, we gotta remember stuff like that. And then obviously the Eagles move on from Wentz. They turn to Jalen Hurts and, the rest, or I shouldn't say the rest is history. It's only been a few years. History is is playing out before us with how good Jalen Hurts has been. Patrick Brown's in the comments. What's up, Patrick? He says, being from Indiana, the fans booed him when he decided to retire. Talk about disrespectful. I said right then, Indy would be forever in quarterback purgatory until the next great, until the next great prospect is drafted. 
And again, I don't know. I don't know how great of a prospect that Richardson is, but I don't think his limitations. The Colts aren't going anywhere this year, so that's we're not going to put crazy expectations on Richardson this year. This is a, this is a building year for him. Uh, we don't even know if he's going to play. My guess is he probably comes in midseason and they'll go from there, and they'll get a top five pick ish. But his limitations, I don't think, are going to be the main reason that I think his career won't pan out the way a lot of his his supporters think it will. I don't think it's going to be coaching either. The roster roster is great. Roster improved. Chris Ballard's an excellent general manager. He'll improve the roster. It's the culture, though. That's the issue in Indianapolis. And we don't, I'm telling you folks, we don't give enough enough um, attention to how vital an owner can be to your success. I mean, Knicks fans, how you feel about James Dolan? Now the Knicks are finally good now, but you know they've got a got a good outfielder. Good outfielder. I'm, I'm looking at a baseball trade. I said outfielder, uh, general manager, and president of the basketball operations, uh, and Leon Rose. Let's see. Yeah. So, like I said, there's there's some trades coming down the pipe. Cubs just got uh, a third baseman from from the Nationals. The Giants just got uh, AJ Pollock, outfielder uh, and utility man, uh, Mark Mathias from the Seattle Mariners. So. There you go. Trade's happening, Major League Baseball, and we've got a little less than 24 hours, really 23 and a half hours until the trade deadline comes to an end in Major League Baseball. So we'll see, and we'll see how uh, that continues to play out. And like I said, I was I was kind of looking forward. I was gonna I was thinking last week or the week before about how, man, this is today's show is gonna be like a Shohei Otani show and a trade watch and what's coming out. And they had to make it as anticlimactic as possible. Like, no, we're keeping and we're gonna try and and get that last wild card spot and get get housed by Minnesota or get the fifth wildcard spot and get housed by the, by the Rays or the Astros or somebody. It's, it's, it's confusing. I don't get it. They're going to lose them anyway. So why not get something for him? Patrick, I'll never understand why Colts fans booed him. They should have been more teed off uh, at Jim Irsay. Andrew Luck was their next Peyton Manning and they failed him. Well, I hundred percent agree. And that, that was, yeah, that was, I remember when that happened. I didn't have. I started carving it up about a couple months after that happened, so I didn't get a chance to react to it. I don't think about them booing. Not not that I'm excusing it. I don't think about them booing Luck the way that I get on. I don't know the Toronto Raptors fans for cheering when Kevin Durant towards Achilles. Like that's. I think those are. I don't think those are equal situations. Where in the first situation, see Andrew Luck retired because he was injured, but we didn't know that was at the central reason because the the retirement news came in the middle of a preseason game, and Luck could have handled it better. The Colts could have handled it better, but the retirement news. I remember what happened. Happened like in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter. Whoever the Colts were playing in their preseason game at home, and. As the news, of course, started to spread around Lucas Oil Stadium, fans like, "Well, wait, Andrew Luck's retiring? Like, we just came off a, a season where we won a playoff game. Like, we're building something. He's just bailing on us." So, not again, not that I excuse it, but I sort of get it. It isn't like a situation where the Raptors fans can clearly see that Katie is on the floor grabbing his Achilles area. That's different. It's different if a player gets hurt as opposed to the fact that he, you know, he left uh, just abruptly. Like I. I hope y'all trying or following what I'm saying, but I don't know. Uh, Patrick says in the comments, speaking of another uh, another indie Indianapolis uh, great player, Mark Jackson, 
He says, I hate the fact Mark Jackson got laid off and replaced with Doc Rivers. As our grid teammate Mel wrote, ESPN, the worldwide leader of layoffs. It's, it's definitely been tough to see some of these, these incredibly talented people get uh, get the boot. I, I saw the Mark Jackson news. I was like, dang. Like you guys know, I love I love Mark Jackson. Loved him as a coach of the Warriors. Now, listen, obviously Steve Kerr's come in and done a spectacular job, and he's a Hall of Fame coach. But Mark Jackson laid the foundation, did a great job, and Steve Kerr obviously took them to a different level. But loved him as a coach. Loved him. Loved him as a broadcaster. He's a great broadcaster. And so, yeah, I was definitely disappointed in that. Although I will say though, and I also hated that they, you know, I hated seeing let go of Jeff Van Gundy as well. I'm thrilled for Doris Burke. Thrilled for Doris Burke. Um, again, hate that they let JVJ go, JVG go rather. Doris is one of the best analysts, one of the best human beings. I, I, I advise folks to go watch her interview. She was on JJ Reddick's podcast. Again, I maintain JJ Reddick has the best basketball podcast on the planet, Old Man the Three, slightly followed by Draymond, the Draymond Green Show, and then Podcast P after that. Those are my, my three favorite basketball podcasts. Go watch her interview with JJ Reddick's you'll grow a new appreciation for her if you didn't have one already. Uh, she's a great human being, great analyst. Uh, and I'm happy for her that she got promoted to this position. She's, she's definitely, she's definitely put in the work. No question about it. Uh, yeah. John Rivera's Ryan, the money here. He says, Mark Jackson should be on the sidelines. You think, yeah, I mean, you're telling me NBA, I, I, I will never, this is the one soapbox I'll never get off of until what I want to happen happens. You're telling me there's 30 coaches better than Mark Jackson. Really? Guy took over a mess in Golden State. Mess. Steph Curry had a really good rookie season. He was first team all rookie in 09-2010, but the ankle problems started to start to start to occur his second year. That is he, he was getting like benched in the fourth quarter of the coach before Mark Jackson was a complete disaster. It was, it was terrible. The Warriors organization as a whole. This is before they got the new ownership and whatnot. Mark Jackson inherits that. And year one, not great. It's the lockout season. Year two, leads the Warriors to the playoffs, coach the Warriors to the playoffs. Now, is there a little Steph Curry involved in that? Yeah, but do we punish Michael Jordan for having Phil Jackson or any other great player, Kobe Bryant and Shaq for having Phil Jackson, or in the case of Shaq, Pat Riley and in Miami? So let's not, let's not criticize players for having great coaches, or in this case, really good coach. Warriors win a playoff series in 2013, and lose to the team that should have won the championship that year, the Spurs, if not for LeBron going nuts in the fourth quarter and Ray Allen hitting that incredible shot in game six. And then the year after, the Warriors upped their win total to 50 and lost in game seven to the LA Clippers. I remember I was livid when they fired Mark Jackson. They brought in Steve Kerr, and obviously Steve Kerr, again, has done a spectacular job in Golden State. What wouldn't, aside from Eric Spolstra, wouldn't take any coach in the NBA over Steve Kerr. As a Warriors fan, that didn't mean I don't think Mark Jackson shouldn't have a job. He connects with players, he develops players, and you'll hear all of former Warriors players that used to, that, that that played under Mark Jackson. They'll all say the same thing. They use one word to describe what he did for them: give them confidence. Yeah, I go watch Steph Curry when he was on Draymond Green's podcast about a year and a half ago, and they were talking about this, and they said Mark Jackson. They've never had a coach in their career that's instilled that much confidence in them. That is so – it can't be understated how important something like that is. 
That can't be measured in X's and O's. That can't be measured measured in your basketball IQ. You can know everything there is to know about basketball and be a terrible head coach, a.k.a. Steve Nash. Mark Jackson has incredibly high basketball IQ, and he's a great leader and coach. I, I'll never, I'll, it'll never make sense to me why he can't get a job. It's been nine years. Ah, drives me nuts. Patrick Brown. Yeah, this is the team I was thinking. Patrick brought up one of the teams I was thinking. He said, Mark Jackson should be the new head coach for the Hornets or Knicks. I was actually thinking Charlotte. Uh, I think they they could really use him. Uh, Hornets or Knicks. I, I don't know about Knicks. Thibodeau, I, I think Mark Jackson's a better coach than Thibodeau, but Thibodeau's done a good job. You know, he took over, again, a bad situation with a horribly run front office, made the playoffs in his second year. I think it was his second year there. First or second year there. I can't remember, 2021. Two years later, gets back to playoffs, wins a playoff series. Like, Knicks are progressing in the right direction. So I don't, I think he's a better coach than Thibodeau, but now is not the time to fire, uh, to fire Tibbs. And uh, Patrick says if the league gets a team in Vegas or Seattle, he should be a top choice. Well, the reporting is that's, looks like that's what's going to happen. Uh, what should the names of the teams be? I think they should turn Seattle back into the Supersonics. I know it's not going to be the original Supersonics, which are now the Oklahoma City Thunder. I get that. But didn't they do something similar with that with, with, with Cleveland, I think. I, I can't remember. I, they did something like that with the Cleveland Browns in the NFL, I'm pretty sure. But just call them the Supersonics, even though they're a different Supersonics. We get that. And then Vegas, I don't know. The WNBA team is the Aces, who are just dominating right now. Uh, preseason pick to win the finals, by the way. Uh, hmm, I don't know. Because, like, think about Phoenix where they got the Phoenix Suns in the NBA and the Phoenix Mercury of the WNBA. I don't know. What's uh, what's something similar to Aces? I don't know. I have to think more about that. I'll tell you, Vegas is rolling it right now, though, when it comes to sports. They got the Golden Knights, new NHL champions, uh, Stanley Cup champions, got to the Stanley Cup final in their first year as an expansion franchise. They've got the Raiders, which, you know, they're the Raiders, so. Not like our expectations are all that high. They're going to get the A's, which I hate for the city of Oakland. I hate that for them. It's a great fan base, great great people out there. They don't deserve to lose their baseball team like that. And now it looks like they're going to get their own NBA team. So, And they're and by the way, Vegas is hosting the Super Bowl this year. So Vegas sports is a very, very real thing. Uh, before we get to our next segment real quick, actually, well, I've got a comment, and then I've got some quick breaking news. And John John's saying exactly what I was going to say. LeBron will be one of the owners. That's what the reporting has said, that LeBron's going to be a, 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 I don't know if he'll be the owner, the majority owner, like Jordan was in Charlotte, but he'll be one of the owners, whoever the Vegas team is. So hats off to him. Maybe he plays for them. Maybe they draft Bronny. That'd be great. Although Bronny, we, more importantly for him, is 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 getting right physically. Uh, real quick, just got some news from uh, – from Mike Kliss, who covers the Denver Broncos. This just sucks. Broncos wide receiver Tim Patrick is lost for the season with a complete tear of his Achilles. MRI confirmed it. This is according again to Mike Kliss. That, that sucks. Because Tim Patrick, I, I remember talking, remember I stupidly picked the Broncos to win the Super Bowl last year? Tim Patrick was one of the reasons I did. I'm like, folks don't know about this. Too. This is a good player. He had a solid 2021 and then got hurt last year at a seasoning injury. And now this year has an Achilles injury. So that that's that's terrible, man. I hate hate that for the kid. Because the reports are from training camp that he was having a really good camp. So that just sucks for Denver. Hate that. And John John says they plan on making a 4.5 billion with a B 
Dollar Stadium Center. Are you talking about the A's or the whoever the NBA team's going to be? Either way, it's Vegas, so it's not like they don't have the money. Okay, so I'll wait for that answer uh, soon from John John or whoever else. But just sort of like went off topic there for a few minutes, but hey, that's why I love doing the show live. That's why I love you know responding to comments and sort of opening up larger discussions. So real quick, is that the comment? Uh, oh, see, 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 Patrick, that you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to do that. He says, Broncos country. Let's cry. The one pick you'll never, ever forgive yourself for. Nope. It's the worst pick I've ever made in the history of the show. By far. I still don't know who I'm picking to, to get to. And but because as if picking the Broncos to win wasn't bad enough, I picked the Rams to get there. And the Rams won five games. So regardless who I pick, it is almost guaranteed to be better than last year. So it's just going up. We'll see. But anyway, speaking of a team that's going to get in the playoffs, getting this topic regarding my Pittsburgh Steelers. It's, 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 it's kind of fun to say that. I like that. My Pittsburgh Steelers. I haven't said my whatever, whatever with an NFL team in some time, so it feels good to finally be able to do that. Kenny Pickett. So there was an article by NFL.com. And obviously we know training camps just got started. We're about a weekend. And obviously Pickett's going, this is the first year he's going to the NFL in that he knows he's he's the guy. But there's something in this article. Judy Batista of the NFL Network, uh, senior national columnist, wrote this. And it's the title of the article. Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Kenny Pickett set for second-year leap with a more aggressive downfield approach. And this article goes on to say that, you know, it, it talks about how the post-spin Roethlisberger Steelers finished a surprisingly competitive 9-8 and eight last season. I would say surprisingly competitive. It's Mike Tomlin. That's kind of what he does. Uh, with a very conservative passing game and a power-running attack. That works when you have a top-10 scoring defense, but logging just 12 passing touchdowns fewest in the league in 2022, is no way to keep up with the high-scoring offenses that dominate the AFC. Pittsburgh may have outperformed expectations after a rocky start, but they missed the playoffs. So this is interesting. This says Kenny Pickett, now the second-year starting quarterback, took the first snap and heaved the ball down the field to second-year receiver, a guy who I think is going to have a monster year, George Pickens. The pass fell incomplete, but that was beside the point. The Steelers want the kind of chunk plays that are routine in the NFL's best offenses these days. That first snap was an indication they are ready to let Pickett try them. What this reminds me of in a football aside, in a life context. Okay, so I'll just tie it back to at least uh, to my personal life growing up. There came a time in my life, I can't remember, right, I can't remember exactly what age I was. But there came a point in time where I got to an age where my fa- my parents felt comfortable in saying, hey, Bryson, we trust you. Uh, you, you know, we, we trust you to be uh, by yourself at the house. We know that you're not going to burn the place down. You're not going to, you know, do anything to screw to screw the place up. Right. You're, you're not going to uh, you're not going to let the let an animal in, tear up everything like we trust you to take care of the house. And so there was a level of trust there. And then we got to a point where a few years later, I'm an oldest sibling where my parents said, you know what? We trust you to, you know, we're going to go out of town. We're going to trust you to, to take care of the house and to, you know, watch over my sister, right? To, to take care of the place. 
and to hold greater responsibilities. I think you see that a lot in the NFL. You see that a lot in sports. And we know that a quarterback I'm actually going to talk about some in this segment, Lamar Jackson, who happens to be in the same division as Kenny Pickett. Ravens didn't trust Lamar Jackson at all his rookie year. Like, dude, don't throw. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to run the football, play, play, uh, play very conservative, eat the clock. Make sure the opposing offense has the ball as little as possible and just get a bunch of Justin Tucker field goals. Like that was their philosophy. Now, with Todd Munkin coming in, it's a different mindset. You're seeing that to a certain degree with Kenny Pickett, where a year ago, seven touchdowns, nine picks, passer rating not terribly impressive, albeit he played well in the last few weeks of the season. But they trust him more. Why? Because he's shown them that he can be trusted. You get to a point as a kid, where your parents trust you with certain different with certain responsibilities. That's the natural progression for anything. You see that at work too. If you get promoted, they trust you more. That's sort of leading to a larger point that Pickett's going to his second year. We know that he was the second, I'm sorry, the first quarterback taken uh, in the 2022 draft, albeit it was a pretty thin quarterback draft. You have Pickett, you had Malik Willis, who I really liked, and by the way, still might like, given the exp- given the reports coming out of Tennessee. Be that as it may, you had him, you had Desmond Ritter. It wasn't a great quarterback draft that we've seen in recent years. I was thinking about this, that if you look at recent, in the last seven years, first-round quarterbacks, especially and often, if it's the first quarterback taken that draft, whether he's the first pick or whether he's just the first quarterback taken. They tend to have big second years after average to bad. I mean, you wait to see these numbers. Horrible first years. Jared Goff's the first guy I want to mention. So Jared Goff, his rookie year with the Rams, I remember watching those Rams games. I remember he had a Thursday night clunker against the Seattle Seahawks on the road late season in 2016. Jared Goff was a objectively horrible quarterback in 2016. Here's the numbers. Again, this is for the podcast audience, those that can't see. Five touchdowns, seven picks. He threw for 155 yards a game, barely completed over 50% of his passes, had a pass rating in the low 60s, and went 0 for 0 and 7 was his win-loss record. But of course, they get Sean McVay, they go aggressive in the offseason, and 2017, he's a different player. He goes from five touchdowns to 28 touchdowns. Pick number stays the same, but he played more games in 2017, so that's encouraging. Yards per game goes up by darn near 100, 155 to 253. Completion percentage goes from about 54% to 62%, and passer rating takes a massive jump, 63 to 100. And he goes 11-4, and four, and the Rams make the playoffs. And we've seen Goff. Again, I'll do my quarterback tiers later. We've seen he has really improved uh, as a quarterback in the NFL. He's turned into one of the more solid starters. You think about a guy, too, who many have considered the second or third best quarterback in the NFL in Josh Allen. Well, Josh Allen, if you remember, had a horrible rookie year in 2018. 10 touchdowns, 12 picks, 172 yards per game. This is passing yards, by the way. Completion percentage, 52, right around 53%. Pass rating of 67, around 68 as well, and went 5-6. and six. 2019, on the other hand, again, different quarterback. Went from 10 touchdowns to 20, doubled it up. Went from 12 picks to 9 picks. Went from 172 passing yards to 193 passing yards. Completion percentage went from 52 to 58. Pass rating went from 67 to 85. Record went from five and six 
to 10 and six. And again, some of this is more trust from the coaches. They see the improvement. Let's look at Lamar Jackson. This is probably going to be the biggest jump of any of the quarterbacks you'll see. 2018, albeit in limited action, although he stepped in and helped the Ravens get to the playoffs his rookie season. 2018, Lamar Jackson, he threw six touchdown passes, three interceptions. Again, those numbers by itself shows you, bro, they didn't trust him. 75 yards per game passing. Completed 58% of his passes, had a pass rating of 84, not terrible, but again, he barely threw, so that's not a great sample size. But he went 6-1 and one because he played within the offense. 2019, again, very, very different quarterback. Went from six touchdowns to 36 touchdowns. Three picks to six picks, but again, they trusted him more. 75 passing yards a game to 208 passing yards a game. Completion percentage went from 58 to 66. Passer reading went from 84 to 113. Record went from 6-1 and one to 13-2. and two. And as we all know, he won the United MVP that year. How about a guy I love? Last guy will show, Trevor Lawrence. Now, Trevor is on a different level than Kenny Pickett from a talent perspective. We understand that. Rookie year, albeit with probably the worst coach in NFL history, Urban Meyer, 12 touchdowns, 17 picks, 214 yards per game, completion percentage just under 60 at 59%. Passer rating at 72, 71.9. Record of 3-14, and 14, good enough to get the first pick in the draft. 2022, kind of like Goff, Jags are aggressive in the offseason. They draft well, and they get Doug Peterson, one of the more underrated head coaches. 12 touchdown passes to 25 touchdown passes. 17 picks to 8 picks. 214 yards to 241 yards. 59% completion percentage to 66. Passer rating from 72 to 95. 3-14 and 14 record to a 9-8 and eight record, and they obviously won the division and won a playoff game. And so I say all that, say this, if you look at Kenny Pickett's numbers, not, old, not that impressive. Seven touchdowns, nine picks, about 185 yards a game, 63% completion percentage, not terrible for a rookie, but pass rating in the 70s at 76, and a 75 record. It's respectable. Not an awful rookie year, but it certainly <laughs> isn't going to blow you away. The more I think about it, and again, this sort of goes back to the old thing of trust. How much do the Steelers trust him? Again, them throwing it deep, and obviously, as we see in this article, the media saw it. That wasn't just a message to the outside world. That was a message to Kenny Pickett. That was a message to the Steelers off. It's like, hey, we're going to be aggressive. We couldn't do this with Ben Roethlisberger at the end. We couldn't do this a year ago with Mitch Trubisky and then a young Kenny Pickett. Or the year before that, or in 2019, when Ben missed most of the season and they had Mason Rudolph and they had, I remember at the end, Duck Hodges at quarterback. We couldn't push it deep because either they can't or that we couldn't trust them. Now we can. Kenny Pickett can throw the deep ball. He showed himself to be solid in that regard. He's improved in the offseason. We have the weapons. We have George Pickens, so who I think, again, is going to have a massive year. We've got uh, De- uh, Deontay Johnson. We brought in the kid uh, from Georgia, tight end. I think he's going to be a monster in the NFL. We've got Pat Fryermuth, who's a good possession tight end. Offensive line got better. Najee Harris at running back. And we understand how great the Steelers' defense is and usually tends to be year to year. And Mike Tomlin's the head coach. That is why, you call me biased because I'm a Steelers fan, you could, okay. But that's a lot of positives. Now, the only cause for pause I have for Pittsburgh, they play in the hardest division in the NFL. 
The Browns are the worst team in that division, I think. That's a dang good fourth place team. That that team would win. That team probably win the NFC South. I think they beat the Saints and the Panthers for the NFC South. I really do. Like that'll be one of the better fourth place teams that we've seen. But improved quarterback play, really good weapons, improved offensive line, great running game, awesome defense with a top three defensive player in all of football. Certainly, or probably the best pass rusher in the NFL. It's either him or Nick Bosa. Talk about T.J. Watt, obviously. I don't know. Let's put those picket stats up again. My guess, he goes from seven touchdown passes, kind of like Goff, to eight. That's eight. To t- <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be that much of an improvement. Seven touchdown passes to 28 touchdown passes. Let's put that down. 28 touchdown passes for Kenny Pick. I'm going to go in and write that down. So he'll quadruple his touchdowns from the previous year. 28 touchdowns to 28. Uh, seven touchdowns to 28. I say he goes from nine picks. We'll we'll say it's around that number. We'll say he throws nine picks again. Actually, we'll be conservative. We'll give him 10. Yards per game, I say goes from about 185 to, I don't know, how about 228? 228 yards per game. Completion percentage, 63%. I don't think it'll be a huge jump because 63% actually isn't bad for a rookie. We'll say he goes to 65%. 65% completion. Passer rating, 76. Is it crazy to say? Man, 91. Record of 7-5. and five. Let's bump that to 11-6. and six. I think the Steelers are going to be the team of the AFC. Not a contender. Not going not gonna to go crazy here. Still Kansas City there. They're still, if Burrow's healthy, Cincinnati. The Jets are going to be a factor. There's plenty of teams out there that are real real contenders in the AFC. I don't think the Steelers are there yet. But they feel like an 11-6 team, and dare I say, maybe they're the five seed. I think they're good enough to win a playoff game, if healthy. I don't know. Pretty darn optimistic about Kenny Pickett this year. I'm not going to lie to you. We'll look at the end of the year, end of the 2023 regular season, we'll look back at, the, at the, this prediction and see, okay, how did Kenny Pickett fare compared to what I to, to what I uh, expected of him? So 28 touchdowns, 10 picks, 228 yards a game, 65% completion, 91 pass rating, 11-6 and six record. You heard it here first on Carving It Up Live. July 31st, 2023. That's what we got. Okay, this is the segment that I've been looking forward to more than any. There's a reason we only have four segments on today's show because this last one is is, is going to take a little bit of time because of how in-depth it is. So, the Athletic every year, I think they've been doing it since 2013. They put out a quarterback tiers list. And they have four tiers. Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3, Tier 4. And they looked at 30 quarterbacks in the NFL. The only two teams they did not look at was the Houston Texans, because they have a rookie quarterback, and the Carolina Panthers, who have a rookie quarterback. Of course, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, respectively. They're both going to start this year. So we just got to wait and see, you know, what they look at from, or, you know, look like we can't really judge them off of anything. But they did the other 30 quarterbacks in the NFL from the other 30 teams. And this, by the way, for the record, this isn't just some Joe Blow from the Athletic. No, no, no. They pulled eight GMs, 10 executives, 10 head coaches, and 15 coordinators who ranked the 30 quarterbacks in the NFL. And again, this is a list. This is... Best quarterback to 30th best quarterback, and they did it based on tiers. So tier one, one through five, and in this order, from one to five, no surprise here, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Rodgers, Herbert. That's their tier one. Their tier two, Jalen Hurts. This is six to 12. Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, 
Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, Kirk Cousins. Their tier three. It's a pretty big one here. Their tier three is the 13th to 23rd best quarterbacks. By the way, I think they're being a bit generous to the 23rd. You can probably guess who that is. Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, Jared Goff, Russell Wilson, Tua Tungavailoa, Jimmy Garoppolo, Daniel Jones, Geno Smith, Justin Fields, Ryan Tannehill, and they shouldn't have put this guy in tier three, but Mac Jones. And then finally, tier four. See, these are, according to the athletic, of course, these, these, these GMs and these coaches and uh, and these coordinators, these are kind of just guys. I totally disagree with who they got at 24th. Brock Purdy, Kenny Pickett, I disagree with that. Jordan Love, Baker Mayfield, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, Gardner Minshew. They got Minshew as the 30th best quarterback in the league. So we could argue about, okay, where is this guy? Where was this guy placed? Let's be honest. If you are outside of tier three, if you're below tier three, you're not good enough to win the Super Bowl. Like that's kind of where I judge it. And I've actually got, I've got three tiers, not four, three, because I think uh, these are, these are the guys that I think are capable. If the, either they're at the Mahomes level where it's like, it doesn't matter where you, what you put around him. He's Patrick Mahomes. He's going to find a way, at least put you in position to win. Or you're around the 20th ish, 19th, 20th best quarterback where Everything kind of has to go right, but you're good enough to do that. You can make the plays. You can make the throws. You've got leadership qualities that I like. So here's what I've got. If we can maybe get a little background music going on here just to make it, you know, a little bit more, uh, uh, a, a little bit more uh, entertaining if we can get this going here. All right. So looking at my tiers, my best quarterbacks in the NFL. Okay. So the Athletics Tier 1. Here's what it had. Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Rodgers, Herbert. Those five guys. That's who the Athletic have. Here's who I got. Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. That's it. That's the end of the list. To me, those are the two guys where, again, it does not matter what you put around them. They have shown an ability to bring great leadership to the table. We understand Mahomes is a freak when it comes to arm talent. Both are incredibly accurate. Both Mahomes better than Burrow in this regard, but both move well in and out of the pocket. Uh, both are cool, calm, collected. They always play be- uh They usually play their best when they're trailing. Mahomes is unlike any quarterback I've ever seen in that regard. Uh, but, but it doesn't really matter. You know, we kind of have questions about Zach Taylor as a head coach of the Bengals. Obviously, Mahomes has had numerous offensive coordinators, numerous uh, targets aside from Travis Kelsey. He's had Tyree Kill, and somehow, some way, when Tyree Kill left, Mahomes was actually better. And Tyree Kill is one of the five best receivers in the sport, and complimented Patrick Mahomes' skills incredibly well. Didn't matter. Still won the MVP. Still won the Super Bowl. That's how great he is. Burrow is on that level. To me, it's those two. Those are the those are the class of the NFL at the quarterback position. I don't think. The difference that they have, those two have, from every other quarterback in football. Health aside, I have literally no questions about them. None. Their ability, their le- nothing. Coachability. They are the Mahomes more than Burrow. Obviously, he's the best quarterback in the world. Those two, I don't have a doubt about. Any, I don't have any limitations whatsoever. Just turn them loose, and you get to minimum the AFC Championship game. Because in those guys, Burrow obviously got hurt middle of his rookie season. But when those guys are healthy, start to finish in the regular season, their teams get to minimum the conference championship game. That's how great those two are. No limitations. There's not a quarterback left in the NFL. It's kind of like, it's kind of the Jordan-LeBron debate. With all due respect to Kareem, Kobe, everybody else, they're just simply not in the level of Jordan and LeBron. They're not. We can argue about who's the best between those two. 
I think more so there's an argument there than who's the best between Mahomes and Burrow. Mahomes is a clear guy. He's, he's the face of the league for the next decade. But it's those two, and then it's everybody else. Same as the Jordan-LeBron debate. It's Mahomes, it's Burrow, and it's everybody else. Doesn't mean you can't win. Just not in that level. Here's my tier two. There's seven guys in my tier two. So what I'm looking at for these, the criteria is not in the level of the Mahomes Burrow, not really close, but if the pieces work, you are good enough to be the best player on a title winning team. Here are those guys. This is from three to nine. By the way, let me take that off real quick. Uh, you probably saw that for a half second. You could always pause it. The athletics tier two in this order, they had six to 12. See that five guys in tier one. I had two. Their tier two, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, Kirk Cousins. That's their tier two. Here's my tier two. Obviously, it's going to be more guys because there's only two in tier one. From three to nine, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert. Those those are my tier two guys. Think about Trevor Lawrence. I think we're about a year away from Lawrence at elevating into tier one. I think he's that great of a talent. I think he's, again, the, the only thing holding him back as I, hasn't had really had the time to add the post-season uh, success of Mahomes, of Burrow, but he's got the arm talent. He's got the mobility. He's got the size. He's got the leadership. He's got all the qualities you could possibly ever want in a quarterback. He's got him. I think he's going to be en route to a potential MVP this season. I think the Jaguars are probably in the AFC Championship game. I think they're that talented. I think Trevor Lawrence is that great of a talent. The only thing that held him back from being anything when he came to the NFL is the worst coach in the history of the National Football League. Not in football, but in the National Football League, Urban Meyer. Lawrence is that great of a talent. Josh Allen, I've got below Trevor Lawrence because I have more questions with him in, as it pertains to turnovers, as it pertains to a to consistency, which shouldn't really be a question with Josh Allen considering that he's five years in, Lawrence two years in, and I have less questions about Lawrence than I have about Allen. But Allen is still a remarkable arm talent. Allen is still incredibly mobile. He's the Matt Truck of the NFL when it comes to quarterbacks. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I don't want my quarterback necessarily lowing their shoulder into linebackers. I think you have a potential. God forbid one bad hit ends your season because your quarterback goes down. But he's gotten to the AFC title game. He's shown he can go toe-to-toe with Mahomes. He's that great of a player. But on a consistent basis, you don't always know what to get. But when you get his peak, you get the best quarterback on the field. Unless he's playing Mahomes. Uh, number five. Who do I have at number five? Jalen Hurts. So folks might say, well, come on. Christ, Jalen Hurts in the five spot. Yeah, he was the second for MVP last year. The Eagles got to the Super Bowl, but that's his only great year. Well, if you think about Jalen Hurts, you think about a guy who, rookie year, ugh, ugh, it's kind of rough. Turnovers were off the charts considering the limited action he got. They didn't really trust him to push the ball down the field. But in year two, turnovers went down. He felt he came more into his own. Year three, boom, explodes. Before the shoulder injury, guy was the front runner, arguably, for the most valuable player in the NFL. I understand he lost his OC, but there comes a point in time, obviously the Eagles didn't have any questions about it because they gave him, at the time, the richest contract in NFL history before, obviously, Lamar Jackson came down the line and now Justin Herbert. But they trust him that much to give him that kind of a deal. He came within an inch of winning the Super Bowl, played outstanding. Some argued outplayed Patrick Mahomes in that game. He's shown uh, an improvement in arm strength, accuracy. We know his leadership is remarkable. 
whether it's Alabama, Oklahoma, the Philadelphia Eagles, doesn't matter. One of the best-run organizations in the NFL, and that makes me want to puke saying that, the Philadelphia Eagles, they trust Jalen Hurts with that kind of money, that type of long-term security because he's that made of that type of stuff. At number six, I had Lamar Jackson. I had a spot above Aaron Rodgers. I trust Lamar more when it comes to, and I probably, when it comes to leadership standpoint, Aaron is starting, as I talked about early in the show and throughout the last month and a half, Aaron is starting to come to a, a level ground with, with Lamar and with the other great leaders in the NFL. But Lamar is one of those guys where we see the obvious talent from a physical standpoint, from an improvement standpoint on in throwing the football from the pocket. That's why I think Todd Munkin is going to be a beautiful fit with Lamar Jackson, uh, especially with some of the new receivers they've gotten. But you also see with Lamar Jackson, you see with some of these other guys on this list in Tier 2 that when Lamar's gone, bruh, Ravens offense can't function. They, they can't move the ball down the field. And then when Lamar's in, they're out here scoring 30 a game. They're out here potentially getting the one seed in the AFC, which they were en route to do in 2021 before he went down. The only questions I have really about Lamar is health. That's really his question for, from this point on. If he stays healthy over the next few years, maybe he vaults to the top five. It's going to be kind of a contest between him and between Jalen Hurts. Uh, Hurts has the upper hand, no question about it to this point. We'll see, but he's an MVP winner. He improves year after year, throwing for the pocket, and we know what he is as a runner. It's just health that I'm worried about with Lamar. At number seven, it is Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron's a guy who would, no question, be in the top five had he not had the season he had a year ago. But listen, he was injured. He was in a place he didn't want to be. The receiving targets in Green Bay wasn't great. Coach wasn't great. Division is, you know, getting tougher with Minnesota and Detroit getting better. Aaron didn't want to be there anymore. But you see now with the Jets, one of the biggest jumps in leadership that I've ever seen from a quarterback. Maybe Kyler can surpass that one day. Who knows? But Aaron still is the arm talent. Aaron's still accurate. Aaron is still deadly when you give him more than two, three seconds in the pocket. Uh, he's, he's again, one of the more, I think he's the second most talented quarterback to Mahomes that we've ever seen in the history of the game. He's still great. He's good enough, no question, to be the best player and a Super Bowl winner. We just have to see if all the pieces gel with the New York Jets. But I think Aaron is worst case seventh. I think some have overblown like, hey, one bad season, now he's terrible. Like, I don't think we should, I don't think we should apply that type of logic to a guy who's won four MVPs and a Super Bowl MVP and is bound for Canton one day. Dak Prescott in the eighth spot. By the way, before y'all freak out, uh, Athletic had him ninth. I have a one spot above that, God forbid. Dak is a guy who, since he came to the NFL, he's dealt with the drama of Dallas better than Romo. He's been already been just as successful as Romo in the postseason, despite questionable offensive pieces minus CeeDee Lamb. Uh, we'll see what happens in Dallas when it pertains to Brandon Cooks. Can he stay healthy? Is Michael Gallup the same player he used to be? Albeit, he's kind of a one-trick pony at this stage of his career, even before that. But Dak's a guy who's dealt with Good to eh, mediocre coaching. Defenses up until the last couple of years have been awful. He's played in a brutal division against a great organization in Philly. And year after year after year, he has a position. He gets you the playoffs. He'll win you a playoff game against a Seattle Seahawks with Pete Kill, a Tampa Bay on the road with Tom Brady having the greatest game of his career. He's accurate, mobile, uh, a big body for his size. Phenomenal leadership. Dak's in that eight spot. You put Dak on... A few years ago, the Los Angeles Rams, I think you get the same result. They win the Super Bowl against the Cincinnati Bengals, probably in a more comfortable margin than they did with Matthew Stafford. He's that good of a talent. He's that great of a leader. He's in my eighth spot. At number nine, who they have in their number nine spot? Oh, they had Dak, uh, and they had Stafford below that. 
I had, uh, if we put the list back up, I had Justin Herbert. Now, folks are going to say, you got Justin Herbert, who the Athletic had as the fifth best quarterback. You have him as the ninth. Now, the last thing I want to be accused of on Carving Up Live, the last thing I want to be accused of, is of being a Justin Herbert skeptic to a hater. I just want it on the record. You can check the tape. In 2020, we had nothing to talk about, but the last dance in the NFL draft, I said, I had questions about Joe Burrow. Dead wrong. I had questions about Tua. I still have questions about Tua. Justin Herbert, I'm like, there's this kid from Oregon. He's big. He's accurate. He's got a monster arm. He's a good leader. He's coachable. This kid out of Oregon, Justin Herbert. He's mobile, by the way. He's pretty good. I liked what I saw from college. He goes to an organization, the Chargers, that while can be a bit on the, how do I say this, bad on the bad in the fourth quarter side, if you put the requisite weapons around Justin Herbert, regardless if there's a good offensive line or not, because he had the worst offensive line in the league in 2020 and one rookie of the year by mile. He's that great of a talent. The only thing that is putting him at the bottom of tier two and not at like the top in like the Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen category, he hasn't won a playoff game. In three years, Dak won his first uh, three years of playoff game. Aaron Rodgers, when he became the starter, won a Super Bowl in his first three years. Uh, uh, Jalen Hurts has been to a Super Bowl. Plenty of guys that have had a lot more success from a winning in the playoff standpoint than Justin Herbert. Now, a lot of that in his defense is attributed to his head coach, Brandon Staley. I don't know some of the decisions he's made is, is, is mind-boggling to me. Be that as it may... How would we treat other quarterbacks, regardless if their head coach was competent or not? How would we treat other quarterbacks if they blew a 27-0 lead in the playoffs? We'd be crushing them. We should hold that same energy for Justin Herbert. That said, does he have the talent? Does he have all the tools to be at the top of Tier 2? No question. Can he get to love Mahomes and Burrow? Doubt it, in large part because he plays in the same division as Mahomes, and unless he moves divisions, will always be the second-best quarterback in that division. But if he's, you could still win a Super Bowl if he's your quarterback. You just got to put the requisite pieces around him. And finally, Tier 3. Now, Tier 3 for the Athletic. Again, we're ignoring Tier 4 because that's those are just guys. Uh, although I totally disagree with them putting Brock Party in there. Tier 3. They had Kyler, Carr, Goff, Russ, Tua, Jimmy, Daniel Jones, Geno, Fields, Tannehill, and Mac Jones, which they just try to sneak him in like we wouldn't notice. Uh, tier 3. Here's my Tier 3. Okay, this is my 10th best quarterback to 18th best quarterback. Derek Carr, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Brock Purdy, Tua Tungavailoa, and Ryan Tannehill. Now, my criteria for Tier 3 is that they can't be the best player on a title-winning team, but if you if everything goes their way, and we've seen that happen throughout NFL history— Seen it happen with Eli Manning. We've seen it happen. Jared Goff got to a Super Bowl doing this. Jared Goff's in Tier 3, top of Tier 3. You can win. I think all of these guys are capable of doing that, some more than others because they're at the top of Tier 3, but that's what I've got. Starting with Derek Carr, what is one of my mottos I have in the show? There's three quarterbacks I defend more than any. Mar Jackson, Dak Prescott, and Derek Carr. Folks, Derek Carr dealt with arguably the most dysfunctional franchise in the National Football League for nine years dealt with numerous head coaches and numerous offensive coordinators and numerous teammates with off-field controversies and an owner and Mark Davis I'm going to ignore his haircut for a second doesn't know what he's doing 
has employed bad people to bad positions who are as incompetent as they come. And Derek Carr somehow, someway got them to the playoffs twice. 2021, I remember talking about it. We were talking about who's the MVP, Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. I'm like, I think it's Brady. I don't. I think it's Brady, but let's start talk talking about, talk about Derek Carr. If we're talking most valuable player, I would have voted him in my third spot. I thought he was that valuable. All the chaos the Raiders dealt with that season with Gruden and Henry Ruggs and Damon Ornette. They're six and seven. They look dead in the water. He leads into a four-game winning streak, and they get in the playoffs and nearly beat the team. That almost won the Super Bowl, the Cincinnati Bengals, on the road. That's how good of a quarterback Derek Carr is. I don't have that high expectations for the Saints because I don't trust their coaching staff led by Dennis Allen. But it's a well-run franchise in New Orleans with a really good roster that knows how to draft. As time goes on, Derek Carr will continue to have more and more success in New Orleans. He can't be the best player on a title-winning team, but he darn sure, if the pieces work, and the pieces very rarely worked at Vegas slash Oakland, he can win that. In the 11th spot, I had Jared Goff. Well, uh, we've seen him literally do that. Not be the best player on a team, but get to the Super Bowl. We've literally seen him do that before. Track record matters. He had the coach, Sean McVay. He had the roster. Aaron Donald was obviously the best player in the Rams that year, and just about every year he's been in L.A. But don't make any mistakes. Don't turn the football over. And Goff is much better as much is a much better quarterback now than he was then. He's accurate. He plays great in the fourth quarter. He gels with his teammates well. Again, he was traded to a Lions team that was three and fourteen, or was it three? I think they were three thirteen and one his first year in Detroit. Now. Most people, including myself, expect them to win the NFC North, which isn't an easy division for the record. I expect them, hold, you know, hold, hold stop the presses, to win, a, to win the Super Bowl, to get to the NFC Championship game. I've said that all offseason. I think if the Lions are healthy, that is where they can get because they improve their defense. Jared Goff is that type of talent. He's a very good player. Not a great player, not a great quarterback, but a very good quarterback, which is the same sort of logic I can use to describe Kirk Cousins, who has... Just about all of the same traits and tendencies and skills that Jared Goff has. <sighs> Problem is, Kirk Cousins has a questionable, at best, record in the postseason and in primetime, of course, as we've all been accustomed to. We all know if there's if there's one play to describe, describe Kirk Cousins in big games, let it be the most recent throw we've seen him make in an NFL game. Vikings have a fourth and long uh, I think they were down seven, chance to tie the game. They're at midfield, and he throws the ball to a TJ Hawkinson who's heavily covered eight yards short of the first down marker. Five to eight yards, around that, that distance short of the first down marker, had no chance to pick up the first. That's kind of Kirk. He's, he's very good. Probably the best season of his career last year with arguably the best receiver in the sport, Justin Jefferson, great new he- uh, young head coach and Kevin O'Connell. The Vikings defense will be better this year with Brian Flores coming in. But Kirk is never going to be the guy. He's likely never going to be a guy to hoist Super Bowl MVP one day. If the Vikings were to somehow go on some kind of crazy run, we'll give Kirk props because he'll have had to play well to get there. But we're not going to look at Kirk as the reason that the Minnesota Vikings won the Super Bowl in whatever year they'll be able to do that. So Kirk's about the 12th best quarterback in the NFL. I've always said that. That's where I have him. I have Matthew Stafford at 13th. Now folks are like, time out. Bryson, Matthew, Matthew Stafford won the Super Bowl a year and a half ago. Yes, but what did Janet Jackson say? What have you sing really? What have you done for me lately? That's that's what I apply. It matters. Your track record matters, of course. Can't be greatest thing that happened was what happened five minutes ago. 
But Matthew Stafford has dealt with injuries in the last year and a half. He's always, even in the Super Bowl winning year, has had a real issue with turnovers. Now, he has a talent to be in that tier two. No question about it. He was the number one overall pick in 2009 for a reason. But we get to a certain point in time where Matthew Stafford, before that, career in the postseason, eh. Since that Super Bowl title last year, dealt with injuries. Even before that was uh, shaky. Dealt with some, some turnover problems and arm didn't look like what it used to be. He's kind of getting up there in age. His style of quarterback play probably isn't going to age all that well. So I've got him at 13th. Can the Rams get in the playoffs the NFC? Sure they can. If they're healthy, they can. But Matthew Stafford, I remember we were talking, um, there was a lot of discussion about, hey, is Matthew Stafford in the Hall of Fame after the Super Bowl? Well, he wasn't the best player on that team. That was Aaron Donald. Second best player was Cooper Cup. Then Matthew Stafford. He can be a big reason, but not the reason that you get over the top and win a Super Bowl. But he was the missing piece for the Rams that year. In the 14th spot, I had Deshaun Watson. Now, Deshaun at 14th, I thought about moving him lower because of how bad he was last year and the limited action he got. But I sort of used the rationale that, look, Deshaun was a borderline, if not right in it, top five quarterback in the sport before we understand the off-field stuff and the trade out of Houston to Cleveland and the legal issues and so on and so forth. He had one of the more impressive seasons in 2020, despite the Texans winning four games that we've seen from a quarterback yet. Is it fair to say, in a full offseason, OTAs, training camp, getting used to the roster, working out with guys in the offseason, that maybe we don't see 2020 Deshaun Watson, but something a lot better than 2022 Deshaun Watson. I can't imagine that it helped to have not played football, a football game for almost a full two years, full, full two calendar years. So I expect Deshaun to be better this year, for the Browns to be fringe contenders for that, for that AFC North title, for a playoff spot. I think he'll be better than he was a year ago. So he's in that top 15 range. I don't think he can be the, the, the best player on a Super Bowl winning team. And that 15th spot, I'm sorry, I had Russell Wilson the 14th spot, Deshaun in the 15th spot. I apologize. So you heard my explanation for Deshaun. 14th spot, I actually had Russell Wilson. I thought about this, and folks know that after week five last year, I sold my Russell Wilson stock. I thought for good. I didn't anticipate they'd get Sean Payton. And what do we know about Sean Payton? Obviously, he's going to Canton one day. But... Drew Brees was a guy with the injuries we thought was kind of shot, kind of done. And Sean Payton got the best out of him, so much so where Drew Brees is a lock. First bout Hall of Famer, no question about it. He'll be trying in Canton one day. Uh, I guess it'll be in 2026, the class of 2026. Sean Payton, his last year of coaching before this, to this point, 2021 with the New Orleans Saints, had four quarterbacks. And the Saints almost got in the playoffs in what was, at the time, the tougher conference in the NFC. Sean Payton makes virtually every quarterback he has work. Well, Denver, despite losing, unfortunately, God bless him, Tim Patrick today. They still have good weapons. They improved their offensive line. Their defense was already good. That wasn't the Broncos' problem last year. They can stop people. Can they score? Well, if Russell Wilson can't score and, and get back to similar what he was to a certain degree in Seattle with Sean Payton then Russell Wilson's probably cooked. He probably is cooked. There's no let Russ cook. He is cooked. Uh, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Second chances, I believe in that in sports. I think Sean Payton's going to be the perfect second chance that Russell Wilson needs to succeed with the Denver Broncos. So I've got him 14th, Deshaun 15th. I apologize. I mixed that up. Brock Purdy at 16th. That might have shocked people. I believed in Brock Purdy since he appeared in his first game. This is before his first start against Tampa Bay when he went up and down the field against the Bucs defense. 
I remember that game against Miami. Jimmy Garoppolo goes down. We're thinking, oh man, the 49ers are done. And here comes old Sturdy Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, from the 2022 draft out of Iowa State, the Cyclones. And you see Brock Purdy in that span. Folks, just want to throw this out there. He led the league in his eight starts. I'm sorry, the games that he started and finished. Brock Purdy led the NFL in passer rating. His arm isn't going to blow you away, but he's accurate. He's mobile. The Niners looked like a different offense, and they were already stacked. They looked like a totally different offense when Brock Purdy stepped in as opposed to when they had Trey Lance and then Jimmy Garoppolo. And that is why, with we hope, cross our fingers, a, a healed elbow from where he injured it in the NFC title game, if he's ready to go, if he's healthy, Niners are probably the favorites, or if not second favorites, to win the NFC. That's how good of a quarterback he is. He stepped in and immediately, as a rookie, we can talk about the pieces all we want, but Jimmy G never looked that good. Trey Lance never looked that good. He fits perfectly what Kyle Shanahan wants to do because he's mobile, he's accurate, and he works well with the pieces that he has around him. Brock Purdy is the 16th best quarterback in the NFL, and Darius say, folks, he may get higher. At the 17th spot, I had Tua Tungabailoa. Now, Tua is a guy who I really liked out of college. A couple years in, eh, I, don't know, I don't know. This this guy may be like a, in that class, I say the Teddy Bridgewater class, the low-end starter, high-end backup. But we saw last year. In the games he was healthy, he was really good. He was accurate. He worked with Jalen Waddell, Tyree Kill. Worked well with Mike McDaniel, the new offensive head coach they brought in there. Really sort of gained more, uh, he looked more comfortable in that regard. Now, the two questions with Tua, health and consistency. But when he's on his game, Tua is like a fringe top 10 quarterback. He's really good. When he's not, he's awful. So for the Dolphins, can they get the best out of him once again in year four for him this year? Dolphins have a Super Bowl roster. Can Tua stay healthy? Can Tua be consistent? And we'll see how far they can go. And lastly, and we'll end this segment, at the end of tier three, I thought about a lot of guys, Geno, Justin Fields. I decided to put Ryan Sandhill in. Because we've seen Ryan Tannehill, kind of what I talked about with Jared Goff, we've seen him be not the best player on the team, but a, an important cog in the Rams system and get to a Super Bowl, almost win it. We've seen Ryan Tannehill come that close, getting to the Super Bowl, despite playing a role where he was just, might as well have been a bystander. Mike Vrabel and Matt LaFleur, or Matt LaFleur wasn't there. The offensive coordinator of the Titans, Arthur uh, Arthur Smith, OC of the Titans at the time, said, hey, 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 Ryan. Just take the ball under center and just hand it to, to big Derrick Henry and just get out of the way. Make the occasional throw on third and five. Make the occasional red zone throw to Corey Davis or somebody. And the Titans went from two and four that season to the AFC title game. The year after, won the division. The year after that, got the one seed despite missing Derrick Henry. Because he had A.J. Brown. He had other weapons. Well, now he has DeAndre Hopkins coming to the building. Now maybe you have the young receiver, the kid they drafted, uh, uh, Burks from Arkansas. Maybe he steps into it more, uh, steps into rhythm more as a as a number two receiver. You have Derrick Henry coming back. I don't know. He feels like bottom of tier three, but you can win long term with Ryan Tannehill if the pieces work around him. After that, I don't see any quarterback in the NFL uh, that can win a Super Bowl even if the pieces are perfect. So who are the guys I left out? Let's look. Uh, Daniel Jones is not that. Jimmy Garoppolo is not that. Uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Kyler's not that. 
Kyler's a horrendous leader. That's that's another conversation for another day. Justin Fields, I haven't seen enough from him yet. Now, again, the beauty of these lists, the beauty of these tiers, they are subject to change. That's Max Kellerman. The great Max Kellerman had a saying once. Uh, well, Max Kellerman has had uh, has had many sayings. Uh, the first being, of course. I want Iguodala. Not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Max Kellerman had a saying years ago, and I'll never forget it, that the beauty of sports is that sports aren't like movies where you have a Steven Spielberg, you have a Martin Scorsese and they, they control the cogs. doesn't matter if you have a DiCaprio or De Niro or a, a Matt Damon. Like you, you, you do it. You do what the boss says. Maybe you have input, but you do what the boss says. The beauty of sports is obviously you have coaching in sports, but the players write their own scripts. Max Kellerman said that. I've never forgot that. And these players can change that for good or for bad. I don't think anybody's going to elevate in, sorry, aside from Trevor, I don't think anybody can elevate into tier one, but that remains to be seen. Let's see. <laughs> John Rivera says that Steelers hat looks way better than a Dallas Cowboys hat. Yeah, it, 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 I agree. I agree. By the way, I think the Cowboys are great uniforms, great logo, great colors, great fans. But I, I, I don't know. I just, anytime I, put this hat on and like, I, I see myself like the, the, the camera here, or the, the, the screen, the computer and my laptop. Like, I'm like, it just, it looks right. It, it just looks right. I don't know. Not that the Cowboys didn't, but it just looks more right. Okay. So that's my tears. Athletics got their tears. I think my biggest beef with them is the fact they have Mac Jones in tier three. I think that's nuts. Outlandish. And straight up wrong. But I guess I'll get more validated on that a year from now. That is all the time in for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your Monday. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Please continue to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, I please, please beg of you, contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. We've got to put an end to this and it starts with us. We got to vote and we got to contact those who are in power to make change happen. All right. See y'all on Thursday. Have a great week, everybody stay safe. Uh, definitely be sure to subscribe to the show. Don't, don't miss doing that. Uh, last thing real quick before we get out of here, I just want to let everybody know that yesterday against the Baltimore Orioles. Yankees lose. <laughs> had, had to end the show like that. Love it every time I get to put that big poppy soundbite. Red Sox, let's bounce back against Seattle. Uh, see y'all on Thursday. Be safe, y'all. God bless y'all. Peace out. By the way, go see The Haunted Mansion. It's a really good movie. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on The Grid Network.